there's a reason lots of English teachers become copywriters. They're good with words. They know how to communicate. And they know how to deal with unruly people. The perfect skill set for copywriting. In this podcast, Emma shares with us her journey from English teacher to copywriter, how she overcame a lack of confidence to put herself out there as a copywriter, how she used a simple spreadsheet to generate leads, and why copywriting is the perfect job for mothers of young children. Hello, I'm Bernadette Schwert. I'm the founder of the Australian School of Copywriting and the head copywriting tutor at the Australian Writers' Centre. If you'd like to learn how you can become a professional copywriter, just like Emma, check out our flagship course, Copywriting Essentials, at writerscentre.com.au forward slash essentials. Our courses are perfect for those who want to have a family but don't want to give up work altogether. Here's what Maz said about copywriting and motherhood. I love that I can work from home, be with my toddler, keep my brain stimulated and get paid. I want to go back to work when she's at school. And this course helped me get my hand in, stay in touch with the business world and give me back my confidence. Thank you for helping me gain the skills I needed to become a copywriter. I now have the best of both worlds. Well, thank you, Maz, for that. I think a lot of copywriting mothers feel the same way. And if you like our podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Welcome, Emma, to the podcast. So nice to have you. Thanks for having me, Bernadette. It's great to be here. Emma, you are an absolute star pupil of the copywriting course. So you did it in 2016 and you have flourished ever since. So let's talk about your journey. And um, I'd love to talk about your transition because like many teachers who are looking to move from their existing career to copywriting, they will have a different journey. Let's talk about your journey. When was it you decided that you thought "Mm, copywriting might be for me and how did you make the, the, the switch? Yeah, good question. Uh, Look, I actually think I spent a couple of years before I transitioned out of teaching just trying to work out what is it that I can actually do from here. I think as teachers, we often get, we feel like we're really pigeonholed into a particular skill set. And I don't know whether that's a construct of the system, but we feel like we can't get out of it because we don't really know what we could do with the skills that we have. And so for a long time, it was just about or what do I think I could actually use the skills that I have for without having to necessarily go back and, you know, do another course at university, Um, you know, that's time, that's money. I kind of thought, you know, I really don't want to commit to that kind of retraining. So my degree was actually in creative writing back years before I studied education. And at that time, you know, around late 90s, 2000, there really wasn't much understanding of what a career um, in writing might look like other than, you know, journalism or writing novels and things like that. And that really wasn't for me at that time. So I thought, well, maybe it's time to sort of come back to that. And I guess I did a little bit of research around what were some of the roles that were kind of coming up in that um, writing space. And copywriting was pretty new to me, but it tied in with advertising, which I'd once looked at and thought, well, that could kind of be something a little bit interesting to me. Um, so I just kind of started researching to, to find out a little bit more about it, um, but didn't really take the step to do anything until I fell pregnant and went on maternity leave, which I think as many teachers will say is, or many, you know, parents to be will say, that's the time that you actually finally get some headspace to think about what else is beyond what I'm currently doing, because 
we get so swept up in the day-to-day in full-time work that we often don't get that processing time um, and that real evaluation time. So for me, it was in that time away from my work that I just thought, I'm so burnt out, I just really don't want to go back to doing uh, this even part-time. I was in a performing arts role, which meant lots of weekend rehearsals, lots of evening commitments and things, which I didn't think was very conducive to family life. And I thought, you know, after years of teaching on my feet, you know, theatre and dance and so on, maybe it was time to actually lean into that writing side. And um, so I enrolled in one of your courses um, and sort of thought, well, let's see if copywriting and the writing that I've done in the past can kind of fit together and let's see where it takes me. And here you are today, six years later. I think you you are sort of echoing so many uh, stories that I hear too, Emma, and it is a lot of teachers. Like even you said before the podcast, you said, well, you've had a lot of teachers come through your course and on the podcast. And I said, absolutely. And I, I think every teacher's journey is different, um, but it still represents a career, you know, that you've had. And it's about how do you transition? And I think what I really want to hear from you, and I think I will, is the fact that all those skills that you've built up, still come into play, right? They're they're not lost. Because I say to people joining copywriting, I say, you are not starting from scratch. It may feel like you are. And of course, the structures and the templates are all new. But all this, this lifetime of writing, this lifetime of communicating, you know, and dealing with conflict and dealing with people in general, it's a perfect foundation for copywriting. So maybe talk to me about the transition. What did you do to actually move from being on mat leave and becoming a a copywriter? Yeah, so... Basically, um, a couple of nighttime courses with you. I did, um, you know, the foundations of copywriting um, that I learnt and then also one around, you know, how to run a successful business. And from there, it was literally a matter of me putting together a spreadsheet of everybody that I knew who had a business or who knew someone who had a business and just actually putting it out there and saying, this is what I'm going to do now. And I did have my job to go back to at the end of 12 months, so I knew it was there Um, if I needed it. Um, But in the meantime, I managed to, you know, get a website up and get some clients. So whilst I went back part-time for three terms before finally handing in my resignation, I had started to build that on the side and build a little bit of momentum. And it was literally just by tapping into that network that were just, you know, close to me. And it was, you know, friends of friends who were saying, oh, actually, I know someone who might need some, you know, copywriting for their medical business or I know someone who you know needs copywriting for their small business or whatever and I was just like great I'll take it I'll do it and you know any job at that stage because all the experience was so valuable um yeah so it's amazing what you can find just in your network if you're prepared to just put it out there to start with I I completely agree and I say to my students as you did like just look at who's in your network right now like just local because people think I want to work in America and Asia it's like in your street it's probably three businesses in your local community. There's probably a sporting club or a school or, a, you know, some charity that could do with some copy just to get your, you know, your feet wet. Um, what would you say to people who feel a bit like, oh, I don't want to sort of contact people I know? What would you say to them in order to get them over that hump? I think it's just so much easier for those warm leads and those warm connections to actually convert into something. I mean, when you've got people speaking on your behalf and these were, it was often not my, you know, not my family or not my closest friends who referred me. It was sort of that next layer out. So if you feel uncomfortable talking to those that inner sanctum, 
maybe move to that next, you know, layer out those connections who you know, but you're not feeling so vulnerable with. That might be my suggestion there. Yeah, it's funny. I was I run Copy Club, which you may be familiar with. It's a community of copywriters. And one of the women in the Copy Club just said um, that she was struggling a bit. You know, she wasn't getting any work and she was feeling despondent. And then she just said, oh, stuff it. I'm going to write this letter to this marketing agency. I don't care what I what they think. I'm just going to be ridiculous and I'm just going to put it out there. And they came back saying, we'd love to work with you. And I thought how interesting that when you get to a point where you not so much don't care, but you detach detach yourself from the outcome and say, you know what, I've just got this thing I want to do. If someone wants it, so be it. But I'm not going to be too attached to how they respond. And that's what you're saying is don't necessarily go for your first two circles, but that third layer is a little bit less personal. It can make things a lot easier. You can think, well, it doesn't work. It doesn't really matter. Oh, for sure. And what you just said reminded me that I, you know, I had this another spreadsheet that I created, which was like, if I could work with anybody, like who are my dream organisations and just like starting to compile those just in a list and looking for contact details, you know, exploring LinkedIn, who's the marketing person there and so on. And I found that like every action that I took just moved me closer because it was just, it helped me gather that momentum, I guess. Um, And again, you know, there were lots of no's, but there were always, you know, some yeses that kind of came and it just, it, it helped me to feel like I was actually just, yeah, continuing to to build on and, and build out those connections and opportunities. Yeah, I call it batching, Emma, you know, where you think, okay, I'm going to have five conversations today. I'm going to send 10 emails today. And when you do 10 or 15 a day, you just get into a rote. You don't really care what happens, you know, whatever happens on the phone call as well. But when you send one and you put all that energy and outcome into one, it becomes bigger than Ben-Hur. You think, no, don't, just batch, you know, so that you just get a little bit more detached from what happens. And I just love the way you said momentum. It just needs to, you just need to do the actions, the basics, right? So talk to me about um, the script that you use when you went to these new these people, both coast people and people in the third layer. What did you actually say to them in the email or in the conversations to get them over the line? Oh, let me cast my mind back. I think I just said, you know, I am, you know, kind of what I did before. You know, I'm a teacher. I'm, you know, kind of highlighted some of my skills for them. You know, I'm super organised. I'm really good with words. I'm really good at communicating. Um, and, you know, if you think of anyone, if, if, if not you, if someone else that you know could benefit from, you know, some copywriting and gave examples of the sorts of things that I might be able to do for people, like I'm, I could write brochures, I could write some, you know, website copy or some, you know, Facebook ads or whatever it was. So kind of actually planting some practical um, ideas of what that might look like or some social media posts. And then as soon as I started to get some examples as well, I would, you know, attach links to those examples so that people could actually pass on and say, you know, well, there's, you know, here's some published, you know, work from this person. Um, and I'd always include a link to my website, which I had up and running by then as well, just to, you know, I guess increase that legitimacy and the validity of what I was sort of offering because I did feel like even though I had, you know, 12 years of a teaching career behind me, I still felt like a newbie and a novice and I really had to kind of just push through that. It felt really uncomfortable in the beginning. That's for sure, but it, you know, it just is the way it is. I really like the way you use the teaching experience to blend in with the copywriting because there's transferable skills. 
as we've just talked about, you know, it's communication, it's dealing with lots of people and lots of, you know, detail and things like that. So I kind of like that because a lot of people ask, well, how do I take what I've already done, blend it into what I'm doing? So I think you've sort of demonstrated that really nicely. So what about um, pricing? You know, we've, we've um, a lot of copywriters starting out struggle to talk about price and they resist and therefore the, the conversation doesn't progress. What advice and we will talk more about specific pricing of how you charge because I know people like to hear that. But what tips would you give to people starting out who don't want to have the conversation? How do you bring it up in the with your clients as to the, the pricing conversation? What's your process? It's definitely evolved over time. And I think in the beginning and even now, it's pricing is not something that I feel really comfortable talking about over the phone with people. So if I can broach it earlier, then I always do, whether that's in an email context with a kind of a ballpark range or if it's through my contact form where I ask people to give me some information about what their budget is, that can kind of um, help me. I think in the beginning, I was very much focused on, you know, what kind of hourly rate should I be charging because that felt like the most logical way to price. Um, and, you know, a lot of Googling and, you know, there's a few good resources out there um, in terms of pricing and suggested pricing and, um, that you know, where people have been surveyed and so on and there's a lot of data around that. Um, but as I became more experienced as well, I started to feel like actually I'm really not enjoying this pricing by the hour because it feels incredibly transactional um, and it also doesn't really speak to the value of what copywriting can bring to a business. So as soon as I could, I moved away from per hour pricing into project pricing. And so that would apply, you know, whether it was for websites or whether it was for, you know, blogs or blog packages and things as I offered back then, um, it would be kind of wrapped up and it would very much, you know, include more than just the copywriting itself. In the very early days, I didn't even charge for a, a briefing process. And then as I got more experienced, I realised that, my gosh, a briefing done well is just like the cornerstone of a good copywriting project. So if I'm not charging for that, I'm just completely devaluing that part of the process. So it was, you know, building in things like, you know, costs for briefing, costs for research time, costs for amends and revisions and, and just kind of thinking time as well. So it very much became it's not a per hour situation. It's like what's the what is wrapped up in this project um, in its entirety and where's the value for that? And that can be tricky because depending on where somebody's at in their business and when they're looking to invest in copywriting, if they actually don't see the value of copywriting, then it doesn't matter what the price is, they're probably still going to kick up a stink about it or really, as I had in the early days, milk you for all that they can um, because they don't really understand how the process works. So there's a real education piece there for us, I think, when it comes to our clients and letting them know, you know, what's involved in the whole process. Like I'm not, you're not literally sitting, you're not paying for me to sit at my desk and write words for you. It's so much more than that. I, get, I think clients get really shocked when they experience a copywriting process, which is done by a professional like yourself, and they see about the, the voice of customer research that you do quite a bit of. They see the time, the effort, the research. So what tips would you say to someone starting out? How do they, what, what conversational 
tips would you give them to help them communicate their value? Yes, I think it's really important to get a client on the phone and to ask them about, you know, what is, what's the state of their business at the moment? What are they hoping to achieve? Like, what are their goals for their business? And how do they feel um, that copywriting might be able to help them? Because the other thing is that often people come to you with what they believe they need and it's often very different to what they actually need. So sometimes in just teasing out some of those questions, you can start to see, ah, they're saying that they actually, that they need, you know, some blog articles written. What they actually need is, you know, a content strategy and then some, you know, SEO research that goes um, in terms of helping to inform what those blog posts are going to be on and then they need the blog post and so on. So it's about actually identifying, like, where are the gaps um, and helping them to understand, like, what what's missing um, so that when you actually provide the copywriting for them, you're providing something that is so much more valuable potentially than what they had come to you for. So... I have a series of questions that I ask in a briefing all around, yeah, what's going on for the business? Maybe how has it evolved? Or, you know, what are the values of your business? Tell me about your audience, you know, what keeps them up at night, all sorts of things. And and just having people tease out these responses. And often I had a client say to me, oh, do you know what? I interviewed a number of copywriters, you know, before I spoke to you. And none of them asked me about our audience, you know, and I thought, my God, that's so fundamental to the whole process. But it was like they didn't feel heard and understood and seen um, by these other writers. That's not to say these other copywriters didn't factor that in. It's just that maybe they didn't make the client aware of, of how that fed into the process. Mm. Well, I was just on the phone to a student this morning and she was asking me about some pricing for a particular job she was doing for a hypnotherapist client. And it was about a couple of emails. And I think just what you're saying, if you do this briefing right and thoroughly, it actually uncovers opportunities for the copywriter. And that's not to say at the expense of the client, it's actually in their service, right? So for example, she was saying, oh, she wants me to write these three emails. I said, okay, but where are the emails going? You know, what do you want that client, that reader to click on? Because if it's clicking onto a blog or another kind of page, what's that page look like? Is that page there? You know, so it's like, no, don't just think about the one job that you're doing. It's like, well, what's the holistic approach as to where do you want them to go? What do you want them to buy once this piece of content's been written? So from that conversation, she thought, well, there's an opportunity to update the blogs or to create new blogs or do, you know, some kind of ebook offer or something like that. So we can take people from the email, get them to click through back to the website. How was the website looking? I think people sometimes disassociate even just emails, what's going on in the email to what's actually going on on the website. But so, yeah, I think when you do a good brief, it uncovers opportunities and the client therefore is going, oh, could you fix that for me as well? Has that been your experience as well? What's, what's your idea of sort of, I guess, building up the opportunity to get more work? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think in those conversations, they either go in one of two directions, like the client goes, oh, my gosh, and like has a panic and things like that's that's too much. That's more than I was, you know, thinking about. I just need to go away and kind of process all of that information. Um, or it goes in the other direction where people go, oh, my gosh, you know, now I have a really much better understanding of, you know, what I need and how everything feeds in, you know, to the other pieces. And actually, we're starting to think more about what the customer or client journey is and, you know, and that 
what the outcome is going to be for the client. It's going to be far superior if they can actually factor in um, all of those pieces. So, yeah, one of, one of two ways. Often the first um, client will come back later, but it's just like a, a bit for them to get their head around. Um, yeah, you, you're quite right. I think that you can freak them out if it's not done in a certain way because they go, oh, you know what, I thought I just wanted this, but I want something else. I'm, I'm going to go away now. <laughs> so that was a bad outcome. <laughs> For the copywriter anyway. Um, let's talk about pricing again because I know you put your prices on your web page, on your website. Uh, what do you charge for a five-page website? So I think a five-page website at the moment is maybe 3200 or 3400 thereabouts. Um, and that has been, you know, an evolution over many years. I mean, um, I think it's a reflection both of, you know, my skills and experience but also in the way that the process has just become so much more robust over the years as well. You know, since my early days, I've done a lot of really intensive SEO training. Um, I incorporate a lot of voice of customer research into projects as well. And all of those things, you know, are extra skills um, that the client benefits from, but also things that take a lot of my time. And what was really important to me too is that rather than working with a whole lot of clients at one time where my energy um, and concentration felt really scattered over so many different projects. It was really my goal a couple of years ago to work with a lot less people at one time, but to give those clients a really individualised, bespoke experience. And so for them, I suppose it's like, well, they can see the value in being, you know, one of a handful of clients that I'm working with because they know that I'm available to respond to emails and that they are really high priority for me. Um, whereas I remember looking at my schedule a few years ago and thinking like, I mean, there was something like 16 different projects on the go at once. And I just felt like, you know, there's so many plates I've got spinning in the air right now and everything could, you know, could go wrong at once. Or, you know, you never know how long people are going to take to come back with amends or, you know, you're waiting for information for the client from the client and, and how long is that going to take? When's that going to come in? So, I just found if I could put the prices up to reflect that more premium kind of experience, um, that the people who really wanted that can see the value of that. And I'm sure there's people who come to that page and think, I'm not paying that much for a website. Um, and that's okay too. I understand that people have different sorts of priorities and also different sorts of budgets when it comes to copywriting. So what did you, what was your, your thinking around putting the pricing on the website versus not? Because I get that question a lot, you know, should I publish my pricing or should I not? What are your thoughts around that? Yeah, I didn't initially, but I fielded so many inquiries from people who were just not a good fit that I just thought, actually, if I just build it into, you know, part of the experience of the website, um, and that's why I included it as a field on my form as well, just people to fill out. You know, not everybody fills it out, but a lot of people, you know, are really transparent with it. And it just helps me to know before I invest a whole lot of time and energy into conversations to know whether we're on the same sort of page. Yeah. I think that takes a lot of confidence, Emma, as well. So that's, that's good that you've got to that point. And I guess that comes with experience. And do you feel sometimes that, um, you know, the, the pipeline's dry and, and you, you get worried about how you're going to fill the pipeline? What, what are your thoughts around that kind of mentality about if you only got a couple of clients on the go, what do you do to deal with that anxiety? Yeah, interesting question. And look, it's something that, probably haven't thought too much about in a long time, which is, you know, I suppose coming from quite a privileged position of, you know, having been in business now for, I guess, coming up for six years. Um, 
But I will say since I gave away retainers completely um, over 12 months ago, you know, it's it's been a, a real, you know, something I've thought about from time to time. But I suppose it tied in with when I um, launched my copy coaching part of my business. So I've kind of gradually been moving away from copywriting projects and more into copywriting coaching, which I guess is bringing in, you know, my teaching experience into the work that I do and kind of more empowering small business owners to write their own copy. And so for me, it's just been like, right, well, it's time to, you know, really get out there and promo the coaching stuff because I don't want to continue to fill it with more copywriting projects. You know, it's a conscious decision that I've made to, you know, stop working with these copywriting retainer clients. So if I really want to grow the business, like that's my, um, you know, that's my role. So, you know, a lot of time it's putting yourself out there even when you don't feel like it. It's about showing up. It's about, you know, being on social media. It's about writing to your email list. It's about, you know, engaging in conversations with people. It's about reaching out to past clients and saying, hey, you know, I've noticed that, you know, the website copy, you know, maybe it looks great, but you have you thought about, you know, adding a lead magnet or, you know, how's your, have you got a welcome email sequence yet? I know we talked about that at some stage or, you know, do you need some support with something? So it's just about reconnecting often with past clients. Um, that can be a really valuable way when I just feel like, you know, I'm a little bit like wobbly. Um, that's great. Or just reaching out to other referrals and people in my network, like graphic designers and website designers and people like that who I know, um, you know, will send people my way if, if I have availability and space for those clients. So it's nurturing all sorts of relationships and it doesn't stop once you finish with a client either. You know, it's, it's very much about I have a, you know, a spreadsheet that I've kept for years now of, you know, each month the clients that come through the pipeline, you know, who, who have I spoken to, who's emailed me but, you know, we haven't followed it up and who's, you know, come through, who's in the offboarding and so on. So I'm always really conscious of where people are in terms of um, our relationship and working together. So I feel like I've got a lot of people that I can draw on or a lot of, you know, um, kind of, yeah, I guess I would encourage people to really keep on top of who's in their pipeline or who has been um, so that, you know, you don't feel like where would I start, where would I go? Yeah, it's brilliant, Emma. You've done exactly what we talked about in the course. You know, it's like step one, build your database. Step two, take every card you get really seriously. You know, that card could be a $3,000, $5,000, $30,000 job. And if you take those cards and you document it and put it in your database and you keep track and you keep in touch, it's, it's all those basic things, isn't it? Are you amazed at just the consistency of the basic things? I and mean, what surprised you about the growth of your business? I say to so many people who, you know, say to me, how did you, how did you make it work? And I said, I literally just turned up and did it. Like if I didn't have clients, I wrote blogs, my own site, published them, promoted them, you know, went through my database, contacted people cold and so on. And I just turned up and did that every day. And I think consistency is such a huge part of my success um, because Otherwise, you know, you don't stay top of mind with people and you don't stay motivated yourself either. I mean, look, I, I work from home sometimes and I have a shared office space, but when I'm at home, like you'll never find me lying on the couch or, you know, sort of taking the afternoon off to just kind of, you know, slack off because I actually know that if I want it to keep going and keep, you know, 
building that I need to show up and do it. That doesn't mean I don't take time off for it. You know, I don't schedule in fun stuff as well, but I don't just think, oh, can't be bothered today. You know, I just turn my attention to something else in the business um, and follow where my energy is going, but I don't just say no because I just don't think you can take your foot off. Yeah. There's a wonderful saying I've got on my wall here. It says, when fishermen can't go to sea, they repair their nets which I love because there's some, there's going to be some days where you don't feel like reaching out. You just don't have the capacity, the mental fortitude, but you can write a blog or you can go through your database or you can delete some emails from, you know, your, your email box. There's always something, right? And I think it's that just putting out the energy and saying to the universe, I'm still here, right? I'm still committed. It's just, I'm not doing this thing today. And sometimes those important things, can be as important as the urgent things, you know, like getting back to a client is an, is urgent, but the important things would be doing a course, you know, or building the database or, you know, doing something that's long range, but not exactly getting an instant result. Mm. It just on the getting amends back here, I just thought I'd share this. I mean, it's always in my course as well, but I just thought I'd share in case people are listening because I found this to be quite a useful technique as clients can sit on copy for too long, you know, for a whole variety of reasons, which again is covered in the course, but, one of the ways to get it back quickly is to say, you have 30 days, Mr. and Mrs. Client, to get this these changes back to me. I'll give you two sets of revisions within 30 days from now. And if you don't get them back to me within 30 days, I'll just assume the copy's perfect and I'll invoice you. And then you let it go, maybe remind them once or twice. And then, you know, a couple of days before it, you go, you know what, you, you know, you've got two days to get these revisions in. I've only got a small window if you need them done. Now's the time or else the, the guarantee is sort of, you know, completed. And you'd be amazed how quickly people get back to you when you have that 30-day turnaround because they go, oh, I do have things. I just never, I didn't want to tell you, you know, that they have as much difficulty giving feedback to us as we have giving a copy to them. So I think it's important for copywriters to realise that as well, but just giving them a deadline because everything just, you know, absorbs the space that you give it. But if you put a, a container around it, then people start to take action. But, yeah, what are your thoughts about giving feedback and getting feedback from clients? How do you deal with that and any strategies yeah it's interesting and that's that's something that has really evolved for me as I've you know evolved in this career in the beginning I used to take it so personally sometimes and you just can't afford to but I also know that I don't think my processes were as robust or um, as helpful back in those early days so you know these days when I send out a first draft of website copy for example I always record a loom video to go along with it that involves me talking through the copy for the client and kind of saying, here's what's here. Um, You know, this is what you can expect um, to see in this draft. This is what I'd really love you to look out for. This is um, the most helpful way that you can provide me feedback. Have a look at, you know, the tone. Is that um, on brand? Is the information accurate? You know, and to sort of also remind them at that process, we've still got two more rounds of revisions. So this is not your finished product. I am open to all your feedback. Um, And then I feel like that really sets it up for success. And then they have an opportunity to give amends. And then I will invite them to come back onto a Zoom call with me and have a copy review. Not everybody takes me up on that, but some people find it really valuable just to talk through their feedback and it can help us to really get on the same page if there is some sort of mismatch between what they were expecting and what I've delivered But I think it's really tricky because sometimes as copywriters, you know, we sit and we work in our offices and we're kind of in a bit of a void and we've got all these great ideas and we've got, you know, 
the actual skills and the foundations to know what works in headlines and things like that and why we've structured things with bullet points and that sort of stuff. And sometimes a client, I think, will read through it and think either that's not what I expected or I don't understand like why it's been done like this. And so it's really important to actually invite that conversation um, and have the opportunity for clients to ask those questions and for you to feedback, you know, this is best practice because X, Y, Z, um, so I found that, you know, really invaluable and just to always say to them, I don't take it personally, even if on the inside, maybe I take it a little bit personally, <laughs> you know, I want them to feel really comfortable to share yep. what they think, because often it's their own business, you know, and they're very connected to the copy um, and they're very connected to how it's going to come across when they publish it. So yeah. fantastic strategies and really valuable. Um, one thing I've learned many, many moons ago was don't send drafts. You know, I've had a couple of situations where people say, oh, this is just a draft. I go, I don't want to see it. And I and I certainly wouldn't recommend, you know, a client, you telling a client that it's a draft as well, because what happens when they say it's a draft is it sets up this expectation that it's not quite finished, um, it's second rate and don't take it seriously. Not to mention if it is a draft, then the client can't actually see that it's a draft. All they can see is what's in front of them. And they go, well, this is what I'm getting. I don't know what draft means to you, but this is what I'm looking at. I can't see what it might be. I can't see the potential. So it's, it's kind of a segue, but I just thought I'd share that just because, you know, you shouldn't send something you've just written either, which is what I call a draft, right? How many, how many times do you let things sit? You know, what's your process for letting copies sit so that you can go back and review it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always very dangerous to send copy that you've literally just um, finished. I always try and let it sit for a couple of days or even if I don't have a couple of days up my sleeve to let it sit overnight because inevitably when you look at it the next day, there are things that you want to do to it. Yeah, a client first draft is never my first draft. Yeah, it's um, I would never send them my first draft. Mm. Or even something that you think is okay you know, that you think, oh, I'll fix it up later. It's like, no, no, send the, the perfect, the most perfect version you can right now because they honestly can't see what the potential might be. Um, I really like the idea of sending the loom, you know, because in the old days, I'm showing my age now, but in the, in the old days, right, where you sat with a client and you showed the copy there and then, you had that chance to actually do it and talk it through and you present it, you know, before you actually even showed it, you talk it through about the brief and this is why we did it, basically the uh, the creative rationale. And now because of Zoom and you know, everything's online, people just send it, right, which is completely fine as well. But you lose that opportunity to actually present your ideas so it means the client gets it without that background as to why you've done it the way you've done it. So that's a really lovely strategy. So let me talk about... Um, how you fill the pipeline, you know, what strategies do you use? And you talked a few, you know, about reaching out and that kind of stuff, but are there any things that you think um, is unusual that you've done or has worked really well compared to other strategies? Uh, look, I mean, I certainly I actually got some data on this because I was curious about this probably about 12 months ago and I thought I would like to know actually where most of the leads are coming from and which of the leads that are converting and so on. So I went back to my trustee spreadsheet and I just started recording you know where people were coming from and what I noticed is that it was really about a third of referrals were coming through my organic SEO that I had you know spent a lot of time um, training in and applying to my own site 
about a third of my um, traffic was coming through like uh, my referral network and a third was coming through, you know, groups and memberships that I'm a part of as well. So that just really helped me to understand, you know, where I was focusing my energy and did that actually align with where people were coming from. So what it made me realise is, okay, well, obviously the website is, you know, a good source of traffic for me in terms of leads. So I probably just need to make sure that my SEO is tweaked, you know, every now and again just to optimise it and so on. And maybe that's also an opportunity to write some um, new blog posts or to, you know, have a think about which pages might be missing and so on. Um, and when it comes to, you know, referrals and so on, it's just a matter of like staying in touch with those people who are my referrers. And recently I just offered them, um, some of them a little bonus of like, have an hour copy coaching with me just as a thank you for, you know, sending a bunch of people my way. So again, about nurturing those relationships, um, which then sort of flows on to more goodwill. And then often it's just about telling people, you know, I've got some gaps or I've got some spaces. Um, a few weeks ago, I had a couple of copy coaching spots left for May and June. And I just hopped on Instagram and talked about them and said, like, if you want one, like this is how many are left. And sometimes it's just that people don't know or, you know, they don't necessarily know what you do or what your availability is like. And so they're just waiting to be told, you know, people need a call to action, right? So um, it's just about being really transparent with that. But the podcast as well that, um, that I started late last year, you know, has also been a really beautiful source of new um, leads and people coming, um, you know, into the community as well. And that was a really good opportunity just for me, I guess, to share my knowledge in, in a different way. And to be honest, I find, you know, writing blog posts is not really where my energy wants to go these days. So I'm finding I want to do more of the, the conversations and the talking. So that was a, a kind of a strategy around that as well. Yeah. Great, great ideas. And just talk to me about the, the training you've done with me. What, what did you get from that? You know, what was that, what did that enable you to do or fast track? I'm just curious. Yeah. I mean, it just, it helped me understand that I was really on the right track with where I was going. Like I felt, especially given that I did have some, you know, a writing background, I thought, yeah, I feel like this is really actually applicable um, for me and it feels really tangible. I mean, the examples that you gave in the course were really practical, um, you know, even things like I remember learning how to write titles and meta descriptions and, and that's something that, you know, as a creative writer I had no idea about what that was, you know, um, and Sometimes I forget that, you know, clients don't understand that because that's really copywriting speak. And so it was those sorts of, I guess, copywriting, sorry, copywriting essentials and foundations that were really, that helped to kind of set me up and help me understand what a client might expect from a project. I mean, I'd done a little bit of interviewing, you know, in my previous career as well, but it just helped me to understand what a briefing might look like or some sorts of questions to ask clients and so on. And it just... Yeah, I guess helped me to understand it was a, a legitimate career and something that I could kind of create in my own way. And I mean, I had no idea back in those days about how it would evolve over the years. Um, but yeah, definitely just solidified and and concreted those kind of essential skills that I think all copywriters need. And then, you know, I, I think you can the exciting thing about copywriting is you can take it in so many different directions. I mean, I never wanted to niche like people do into different industries. For me, I started in education because I thought, well, that's where my experience is. But 
very quickly worked out that what I needed was a good break from education. Um, and I didn't want to, you know, pick one particular industry. Instead, I decided over time that I really liked websites. And now I can feel like, okay, well, I want to bring my teaching back into more of my work. So moving into um, more copy coaching stuff. But, you know, you can take it in whatever direction aligns with what your own experience is and what your own interests are. I mean, I worked with someone recently who came to me for coaching. She's um, and more of an emerging copywriter and she specialises in the equestrian industry. Like, that's really niche. But, you know, she loves it and that's her passion. So, mm. yeah, so many different options. Mm. It's as wide as any industry, every sector, charity, product, service requires it. But one thing I really want to ask before we wrap up is retainers because you've moved away from retainers and I'm really curious as to why that happened. Look, I really enjoyed the retainer agreements I had in terms of I really enjoyed working with the particular clients but what I don't enjoy is doing the same thing and um, you know, repeatedly. And so for me, I just get really bored in a retainer arrangement and I also get really itchy feet. I mean, I'm getting itchy just thinking about it, <laughs> that, you know, a day of my week would be carved out for somebody else. Um, that used to really, you know, um, it didn't sit well with me after a while. And I just thought, I really want to have the flexibility to move projects around in my week where I want them to go, um, not where it suits somebody else. You know, I had a beautiful retainer client that they always wanted me on a Monday. And I thought, I don't really want to do this on a Monday. And I tried to move it and it just... They wanted what fit with their schedule and eventually we had to part ways, you know, very amicably, but it was like this is just not working for me and, and my business because there are other things that I want to do um, to set myself up for my week on Monday. And, you know, so I think whilst they're really good for stability and especially, you know, in the early stages of a copywriting career, I think they can be just, they can help you feel really, you know, good about where you're going and give you the flexibility to, test and try and, you know, without the pressure of like, am I going to make bank this month? Um, they can be great, but I don't know. I, I I like to throw a bit of caution to the wind and, you know, in the same way that I resigned, you know, from my full-time ongoing teaching role um, and thought, well, if I have a backup plan, I'll just use it so I don't want to use it. I just, yeah, feel a bit like that with retainers, like I'll feel it, you know. Brilliant to have that confidence too. And, and also the, you know, the freedom to think I can choose and control my destiny. I've got the skills to bring in the rainmaking of clients when I choose. It's wonderful to, to have got to that point from six years, which is not that long, really, when you've been a teacher and you talked about that sense of, you know, not sure what you could do or what your capabilities were because you've been doing it for so long. So I think it's so fantastic to hear how you've flourished, you know, and you've stepped into your own power. And also what you said there is, is interesting that it's not for everybody. You know, it's not like the retainer should be the golden nugget or the golden grail, you know, the holy grail. We shouldn't all be aiming for the same thing because it doesn't suit everybody. Like for me, retainers are a bit the way you've expressed it. It's like it's this bit of a heavy feeling about, oh, I've got this commitment this month. You know, I've got to do it. And, and that's good, like you say, for people who want to, have that security, but there's also that sense of freedom and, and independence, which can be at odds really with being, um, you know, your own business owner. So I think what's so nice is you've completely worked out what do you need and you've gone for it and you've taken a bit of a leap of faith to, to back yourself as well. So I just want to say thank you very much for coming on this. I'm so pleased and proud with what you've achieved. It's really, really inspiring. Oh, thank you, Benedette. And honestly, like 
I never would have imagined where those courses in the early days um, have taken me. But, you know, I'm so grateful to, to you and um, to all the people that I've met on the journey because it's just it continues to inspire and excite me. That's what we like to hear. That's a life worth living. Well done, Emma. Thank you. From one little spreadsheet and one simple pitch, Emma has found a new calling, a new career, and that's life as a copywriter. I think what Emma demonstrates so clearly is that it's possible and that by putting just one foot in front of the other and focusing on local clients, you can build a successful business. Well done, Emma. Well, that's it for us today. If you like this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. As always, I'll leave you with an inspiring quote. You can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. And I recently heard an interesting statistic that I'd like to share with you. The Institute of Unfinished Research has concluded that six out of 10 people And that's it from me. All the best and bye-bye.